Hey there, listeners. I'm working on a special mailbag episode where I answer your questions. If you have anything you'd like to ask me, just send me an email, sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic Insiders. There's something for everyone, discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern legacy and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM, when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune in to watch their live paper and moto streams at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Hello, good sir. Could you please introduce yourself? Hey, guys. It's Frank Stanley again. I am the tournament organizer slash head judge slash general loud guy at Mox Boarding House. Sometimes a magic player. Uh, most of the time, just a, a magic screamer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back. Nice. And yeah. today we're going to be talking about blue. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the mind color. <laughs> the color that nobody wanted to talk about. <laughs> Which is really weird to me because I think you get, you get any blue mage, you get any, any person that just like plays a smattering of Force of Wills or Snapcaster mages and they're just like, oh, I could talk to you for hours about this. But uh, no, nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> so somehow somebody threw a dart and it landed on my name and I get to. So, but I'm thrilled. I love blue. Could you please introduce yourself? All right. My name is Jordan Isaka. I am a eternal magic player. been playing for a long time, about 20 years. I'm very involved with the magic community, and I do commentary and casting for Card Kingdom on Monday nights. Hello, sir. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ben Sek. I'm a 25-year uh, magic player. I've been playing since the very beginning of magic, but uh, I started actually my uh, career playing in Australia. And uh, from Magic, I, I think it's been one of the you know most formative things in my life, and it's really, really shaped my career as well as you know my my social groups and everything. So I mean, Magic is everything to me. Okay, let's do a quick sound check question here, Frank. Tell us, what do you think the impact of Jace the Mind Sculptor is going to be on Modern? Uh, I am the contrarian in this sense, where a lot of people th- like a lot of people are just like it's huge, it's redefines the format, and I'm just kind of like eh. Uh, the big thing for me is that, like, the way that I look at Jace the Mind Sculptor in the format is it introduces, or it doesn't introduce anything new in terms of addressing a card like that. A lot of the times, you know, when, like, say, for example, when, like, Valakut was banned, or Ancestral, or when Valakut was unbanned, or when Ancestral Vision was unbanned, a lot of people are just like, oh, well, now we need to do this. With Jace, it doesn't bring about a new change. In my opinion, it actually rolls back uh, modern uh, a bit of a while ago. If Jace like if Jace sticks, Jace is incredible. It gives you a ton of utility. But the other thing is, you know, it's a four drop in a format that centers around like three drops. <laughs> yeah, Karn is a three drop. Right. Like if you are going to tap out to cast a Jace on turn four, you better already be ahead, or you better know what the hell's going on. Because otherwise, like if you just go like tap four Jace brainstorm and your opponent plays red and they just go lightning bolt, well then none of it matters because you don't have the protection that you have in legacy.
Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. This is part two of our five-part series on Wooberg. In this episode, we're talking about the color blue with legacy grinder Jordan Isaka, judge and tournament organizer Frank Stanley, and Magic personality Ben Sack. Blue is a hot topic in Magic. It used to be the best color, and now it's not. We'll be talking about what makes blue so cerebral, as it is oppressive and hard to play. Blue dominates legacy, but will it dominate again in modern or standard? What are the most notable cards in blue that creates game states that are so interesting? What is the history behind blue, and where is blue headed in the future of Magic design? We'll answer those questions and more. I hope you enjoy my conversations with Jordan Isaka, Frank Stanley, and Ben Sek about the color blue. Why did you choose to talk about the color blue? I think blue is probably the best standalone color in Legacy, well, the best standalone color in Magic, and has been for a long time. I think Wizards of the Coast has really done a good job to try to introduce new players to other colors. But historically, you know, if you go back to the, the annuals of Magic 20 years ago, blue has always been kind of the widespread and definitive best color. They've printed the most powerful spells in blue, the most powerful creatures in blue even. That's certainly representative of Magic today. It's certainly just a, a powerful color and a color that rewards players for having a deep knowledge of the game. I think blue does two things. Blue is individually both a really powerful color that has its own individual cards that are strong, Counterspell, Force of Will. These cards are very powerful and have been around for a long time. But blue also has the ability to make other cards powerful as well. So the idea of Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, these cards have, have stood the test of time. We know when they, whenever they're introduced, they call them cantrips in the magic world. And the cantrips are so good at identifying and finding crucial cards that may exist in other colors. But because blue is so unique in that it has that card quality advantage, card selection, it really gives it a leg up versus other colors. So that's really where blue shines. It can both defend itself very well and also find the cards necessary to win the game. Frank, tell us about why blue. The briefest, probably like most pinpoint description I could say is blue is the Muhammad Ali of magic. You know, if you want to take it like further historically back, for the longest time, blue was almost the best and worst color for magic because with blue, you can pull the best plays you can have the best actions, but at the same time, blue collectively pisses off everyone else. If you go back to the history of Magic, when the game was a lot more spell-based as opposed to like creature-based the way it is now, blue just dominated the format. Back when the game first started, a lot of people just didn't really recognize that the best option was to have the most cards in hand. It wasn't always, you know, deal as much damage as possible, play the biggest dude. It was just draw all the cards. And there's no better sign of that than going way back and seeing a card like Ancestral Recall. Because, you know, with the three cycle, when you had Dark Ritual adding three mana, Lightning Bolt dealing three damage, the most powerful, obviously, was drawing three cards. In the history of the game, Blue started off being just so good. And today, in like modern era magic, it's 2018, and we're like, oh, Blue is just, ugh, it's so anemic these days. But I think the point of that is just because, like, especially with modern, you know, when Jace the Mind Sculptor was on the initial ban list, 
obviously part of it was the secondary market at the time because there wasn't, you know, a time when you can remember like a hundred dollar card being in standard, you know, hence the banning of that and Stoneforge. Looking at it preemptively, it's also the fact that this card has the potential to just get very out of control in a new format like modern. So they just wanted to keep it in check. The fact that you don't have a control archetype, that is a testament to the power level of blue in modern where it's still very low. I think it was a calculated risk and a calculated move by Wizards, but they're starting to see more and more that it's just like all the other strategies are starting to just overtake that game, overtake that format. And now it's like, this is the time for blue to shine. Even then, I think blue is like, blue is the best support color in standard. Uh, It's obviously the dominator in legacy and vintage. So I think it's about time that, you know, Wizards decided, hey, let's just give blue a shot in modern. Why is card advantage important in a game like Magic? Card advantage is important, and that's kind of a a twofold question. Card advantage is so important because the more cards you have access to versus your opponent, the more chances, the more answers you have for your opponent's actions. And also, the more opportunities it gives for for you to find specific cards to answer your opponent or to, to, to deal with your opponent. So really linking the fundamental of the game, because every turn... Every player draws one card. If you're drawing more cards, you have more answers because that way you're not one for one because eventually you want to win. You want more of your threats on the board mm-hmm. and less of their threats. That's right. That's right. And, and the idea of card quality advantage is also quite important because the quality of the cards that you draw, if you just draw a lot of cards, if you draw a lot of lands, then you have a lot of lands, right? But if you're able to choose, make sure that the cards you draw aren't necessarily always lands and they're you know, specific cards you're interested in drawing then you end up with so much better of a chance of winning the game because your cards will have a higher impact on the game you're currently playing. The original series of cards or the original cycle of cards was five different cards and there was one in each color. So there was Dark Ritual, Giant Growth, Lightning Bolt, and Healing Salve. And the one card that Blue got is actually considered to be one of the most powerful cards in the game, which is Ancestral Recall. Now, because the understanding of how the mechanics of the game were so old and not well understood, Ancestral Recall was not necessarily deemed as a really powerful card until they playtested it and they understood that this card is bonkers, right? Actually, I think another there was some analysis that was done later to try to figure out exactly what would be a balanced card for one red, you know, a one red instant that dealt six damage. It was considered to be the same power level as, you know, tapping one blue to draw three cards. I think one white to gain 15 life was the equivalent for white, you know. And so that just kind of goes to show you how powerful card advantage is and how hard it is to come by in the current era. How are you going to sell blue as a color to the listeners? So the best way to describe magic to like newcomers is to describe it as a game of chess, but you bring your own pieces. Blue, I think, is the embodiment of that, where it's you would just have like a backline of queens. <laughs> uh, so you get to dictate the pace of the game the way you want. You know, for like a person that has all that, a person that loves having like all the options, having the color that allows you to draw the most cards, I think is the best way to go do that. And blue is definitely that case. It's an ability to recognize all of the resources that you have being capable of playing a lot more reactionary, uh, which in Magic, I think is the best way to go about it. There's definitely, you know, there's definitely a a case to be proactive, but that is not this color. (laughs) So uh, if you love to try and predict your opponent's moves and be able to just like pull off all of the sick plays, like all of the ace plays come in blue. That's my opinion. And I think that's why uh, it is the best color. 
Yeah, being reactionary and then having access to your deck, that's important because if you have all the great things in your deck and you're not drawing them, you're not using them, then why bother? Right. Uh, th- there's a lot of times when, you know, when you're playing blue in conjunction with other colors, it just, regardless of the position, you can always have like this feeling that you are ahead and eventually you're just going to like turn a corner and just be like, yes, I am ahead. Now you are losing and you are going to lose very hard. Jordan, why do you like playing blue so much? Blue is a fantastic color because you always feel safe. You never feel like the game is out of your hands or out of your control. Blue rewards you for making the correct decision every time. And if you're a player that believes that they can do that, that they can play perfectly, then blue rewards that perfect blind of play. Blue also embellishes or I guess it intensifies or amplifies other colors that you're playing. Blue as a standalone color does give you the ability to counter and, and, and play powerful creatures, but it also allows you to find specific cards and more powerful cards outside of blue. So a card like Stoneforge Mystic, Swords of Plowshares, historically a card like Wrath of God, these were all cards that were, you know, that are powerful, but needed additional help to try to generate the perfect position. And a card like Wrath of God was a fantastic control card, but it didn't really see the, the the pinnacle of its ability until it was folded in with more blue cards. So the idea that you could brainstorm and then play Wrath of God or play Wrath of God and counter their next creature, that was kind of a new age you know, line of thinking from the early annuals of Magic. But blue really allowed that line of play to occur. Blue allowed the extension of Wrath of God, so to speak. Blue really, in a sense, allows access to certain kinds of unfairness. Right. It, it, it will amplify other cards and, and allow you to grab the right card at the right time. Right. So for, for black, blue and black kind of makes a, co- a combo oriented color. Blue and red kind of makes an aggro control oriented color, color range. Blue and blue and green creates like kind of this, this idea of playing lots of creatures and then protecting them over the top. Blue is, is really just a really is a catalyst to better understand other colors. Okay, Frank, so tell us, what do you know about blue that other players may not know about? The main thing is being able to play a reactionary game. There's a lot of people that just associate blue with like getting to know the words in response or I'm going to counter that or I'm going to draw all these cards. And while that is a significant portion of playing blue, that's not the main thing. Uh, the main thing that people kind of not recognize when it comes to playing blue is you playing blue requires you to know your opponent's deck more than they know their deck. It's a constant question to yourself of, can I lose the game this turn? You can get that a lot with other colors. You can get that a lot with other decks that don't play blue. But especially uh, especially with blue, that question you ask yourself is the most prevalent. It's all about threat assessment. And it's all about making sure that like this one, I mean, this threat probably doesn't warrant me countering it or trying to get it off the battlefield. I can work with this. A color that requires you to learn workarounds more than anything else. I don't think people, like when some pe- when somebody sleeves up blue, they're just thinking, I'm just going to counter everything uh, and then drop this fatty from another color and then I'm going to win. Then when they find themselves losing and they ask, why did I lose? And it's just like, well, did you really think you needed to counter that one? Should I have waited to suspend Ancestral Visions? Should I have waited to bounce this creature off the board with Jace the Mind Sculptor? It is definitely the color that will make you think more than anything else. And it doesn't go on autopilot as some people like to think with blue where you can just, you know, keep everything off the board and eventually you'll win. Jordan, what do you know about blue that other players may not know? I think the modern magic player, when they look at blue in the current age, they don't necessarily look at blue with a lot of awe. 
you know, they'll, they'll see blue and they'll say it's a, it's a strong color, but there really hasn't been a lot of compelling arguments to play it in the current era. But historically, blue really adds a lot of depth to play and a lot of depth to lines. Blue really kind of takes what would be a, a good magic player and makes them a great magic player. It, it really forces a lot of forethought and in practice and repetition, right? There's a lot of things that you can do with blue as a player that will that will give you options and give you opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily have beforehand. And I think what's kind of too bad or, or tragic, so to speak, in the current era is that blue doesn't really give you great card selection. Blue doesn't really offer you the ability to find cards that you need to find. And it's it's kind of driven magic into a state of board states and, and tutoring. While that's fun and interesting for certain players, it doesn't necessarily drive the kind of magic that I'm interested in playing. It's kind of tough to, to grapple with too because blue is also one of those colors that Wizards has really been attempting to fix. You know, Wizards has really been, they, they've really had their eye out for making blue cards that are too strong, that are, that are unfair to play against. You know, and I think that there were always attempts to make the correct blue card, but it was always seen as a little, a little difficult to do because the idea of card selection is hard to balance. So when, you know, when Modern came out and the cards Ponder and Preordain were banned, and when, when Modern came out and Jace the Mind Sculpture was banned, th those were, you know, those are cards that are inherently powerful. And they, they certainly really identify, they, they really kind of color the identity of blue and the reason why it's so strong. But what's unfortunate is that the modern player, the current modern player doesn't necessarily have access to those. They've never seen how those cards function. And I felt like, I always felt like wizards could have, have released cards or printed cards to balance those cards, you know, to keep those cards in check. And yet, they haven't really, they're more interested in, in, in driving storylines and um, perhaps making money, perhaps. So that's, uh, it's, it's kind of like this, this, this balance between, you know, for a newer player, for, for, the, for the current age player, if they really want to experience what it's like to play blue, they should try to cast a card called Brainstorm. And that, that card is, it's hard to cast, it's hard to play. And if, if you've never done it before, it's, it's, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride to cast that card and try to win. What are some of the most quintessential mechanics about blue? A really good poker face to start. Um, <laughs> it's not in the cards. No, it's, it's not on your the, face. Yeah, it's it's on your face. Blue can have a lot of tells where it's like a, a novice blue players can immediately slow. Like there's some where it's just like there's been times when it's just like I'm playing against a new player where it's like I'm going to play a spell and I already know that they're going for the counter. So I'm just going to change. I mean, and while I haven't shown anything, I'm just going to be like, ah, I'm just going to I'm I'm going to wait. Stuff that I've already said in this, where it's just like, it's being able to know, like, is this the right time for this? With blue, you always have to make sure that you're playing like two or three turns ahead. Say like, okay, I'm going to play this land, I'm going to play this spell, and I'm going to pass the turn. It's going to be, okay, if he's going to play this, uh, I have this option. If not, react at the end of the turn by trying to draw a card, sculpt the hand a little bit more, get ready, play this brainstorm, crack this fetch. Now I know that I have three cards off the top. Uh, I don't know what they are, but I know that he's probably going to end up doing this, and I have the answer for that. If he's got this, I'm screwed. You know, things like that. It's being able to just think ahead. Other mechanics, does drawing card count as a mechanic? I think it does. Uh, drawing cards <laughs> definitely counts as a mechanic. These days, it's scry. Yeah, scrying is actually pretty important. Serum visions uh, is pretty big, but now that you know there is an actual brainstorm in modern, it's it's having all of the options. 
What other mechanics are we looking at? I mean, you got the pretty vanilla ones. It's like flying, unblockable, yeah. Yeah. a uh, tiny bit of hexproof. Prowess now is actually more prevalent in red, but it's defined as like the blue mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the blue red mechanic. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Unblockable uh, flash. flash. Yeah, flash. <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot of really good ones. Uh, hex. Oh, hexproof. Hexproof. Um, you know, blighted agent. Uh, way back when invisible stalker was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess those are like the known ones. Everything that's like not known from the mechanics of blue are just kind of all of the cerebral parts of it. Let's talk about some mechanics that are quintessential to blue as a color. Jordan, what would you say are some mechanics that are quintessential to blue? Blue has a lot of really interesting mechanics that allow it to be both powerful and weak at the same time. Blue has the ability to respond and to act in, in uh, response to your opponent doing actions and making plays. And that's why blue is so strong. It can always find an answer to a spell or, or a play. And a lot of times, if it doesn't have that answer, it can be in a really awkward or bad position. Or, or, or a tough position. So blue, when you when you play blue, you kind of walk this line between being able to perfectly answer your opponent and being on the wrong side of a of a card that you didn't really expect. So blue is is great in that regard. I would say that blue, the idea of card quality advantage or being able to find answers out of your deck, that is a core mechanic of blue. Card selection, and then on top of that, card advantage, being able to draw more cards than your opponent, giving being able to have, find more answers than your opponent. Those are our core mechanics of blue. Blue also has the luxury of having a lot of cards with evasion. Cards that are hard to block or that are, you know, that are tricky to get in the way of. Uh, the card that comes to mind predominantly is Delver of Secrets. It's uh, essentially a 3-2 for one mana with flying, and it's, it's extraordinarily powerful. It's more powerful in formats where you have access to more spells, so more powerful in Legacy. But it is, it is a fantastic card. It's uh, very efficient for what it does, and the fact that it has flying only adds to the, the body that it's on. So flying is certainly a core mechanic, and a mechanic that exists among a lot of the, uh, the predominantly the, the more dominant cards, blue, blue creatures. I would say the other the other creature that is really powerful in blue is probably Snapcaster Mage. And what's interesting about both Delver and Snapcaster Mage is there are creatures that are kind of influenced by the spells you play in your deck. You know, and that kind of goes back to the understanding that the cantrips, the card selection, that's really powerful. And cards that are that aid that card selection, Snapcaster Mage for card advantage, Delver for an efficient body. You know that act, that is activated off of spells are really kind of the flowing into the idea of understanding blue. You know, and then so on top of that, when you support those cards with counter magic, spell pierce, spell snare, force will, counter spell, the idea of permission that to protect your creatures or protect you from a combo that your opponent's playing. That those are our core mechanics that make blue really powerful. They give blue a a huge edge over a lot of other colors. There's not a single other color out there in Magic that is able to counter a spell. I mean, barring Mana Tithe, which is, uh, you know, a little bit of a joke card. But uh, it's one of those things where blue can always stop your opponent from playing spells. And the day that Wizards prints a lot of cards that say cannot be countered, that's the day that blue has to take a step back. You know, and I, I think that that has certainly been the case. I think in modern, the card Abrupt Decay is uh, very powerful and, and certainly a card that blue decks have always had to, to take into account. Supreme Verdict as well, Thrun the Last Troll. These are cards that blue doesn't really a- agree with too much because it, the, it's hard for the permission to answer. Frank, what do you feel like is the role of blue within the game of Magic? Uh, blue keeps the game fair. 
Hmm. You know, that's a lot of people's, you know, a lot of people are going to think here that it's just like blue does the most unfair things. Correct. Because like, take the difference between modern and legacy, for example. Uh, with modern, it's a matter of having mana leak to keep something from going very out of control. But at the same time, you know, if you're stuck on two mana and you need to prevent that thing, like say, for example, you have two lands in your opener, you have a mana leak and you're on the draw. So you have to stop the three drop. But that means your your turn two doesn't you have nothing for your turn two. Like, again, that's where Jace becomes a problem. That's where Bloodbraid Elf uh, having, you know, having the mana for Cryptic Command. That's a four mana spell. And that, you know, that card has a significant impact. In Legacy, you can tap out and have Force of Will or Days Backup. So your opponent can't do the really crazy things. When you have a deck like Storm, which has the capability of killing on turn one or turn two, you need that Force of Will to keep them in check. Otherwise, the format just runs absolutely rampant with all of these fast combos. It sounds unfair because you have a free spell, but it's also the fact that, well, if we, for us to have a free spell, this format needs to do some absolutely degenerate things. So that's, that's the balance that you have. In standard, blue plays blue plays the long game. You know, it's the ability to keep decks like uh, at the time Mardu vehicles or now uh, mono red from like having those turn three wins. Uh, it's it's the color that will stretch the game out. Uh, you can make the same argument about black, but with black, it's usually like no removal. That's it. Uh, if you can keep things blocked with, say, a Gonti or a Kite Sail Freebooter, uh, eventually those are going to come, like, eventually those flets are going to go away and you're going to need something else and you may not have it. And with blue, you still have all the options, like uh, the staple cards being like Torrential Gear Hulk, Glimmer of Genius, being able to, you know, control the pace. Uh, so, you know, when you get further back, uh, you have the ability to keep degeneracy in line. When moving forward, it's a matter of being able to maintain the sense of control you have on the game. So what you're saying is that blue really is a balancer of the game? It's really weird to think of it that way, but I think that's the best way. You can't say that about any other color, really. When you think about a lot of the mechanics and a lot of the roles that other colors have, say, for example, like black is probably the closest thing to having the equivalent when you have something like hand disruption, when you have duress, thoughtseize, cabal therapy, stuff like that. Uh, with red, what do you have? A lightning bolt. Uh, that doesn't stop a whole lot. With white, it's mother of runes, but now you're <laughs> not dealing with a creature based, you know, with a creature basis. With green, again, it's just play forest, drop big dude and smash. That's, that's, I love green. Like green is obviously like, or is, is actually like the one that I have the most success with. Uh, but at the same time, green is the most brainless color in the format. So, uh, I'm not saying green players are dumb. I'm just saying you like things simple. Jordan, what do you think is the role of blue within the game of magic? Blue has a fantastic role in magic in that it can actually give a player a large decision tree a bunch of decisions and a bunch of options when they play the game. Blue really opens up the idea of being able to choose your line of play, whereas a color like green or black or red, they're kind of cemented in the cards they draw. They don't really get to choose what they draw off the top of their deck. But blue is so good at being able to choose that. And blue's role in the game is really to kind of play the policeman, so to speak. It's, it's to make it so all of the other colors that are kind of out there doing things that are, you know, considered broken or busted, uh, things that are considered unfair. Blue can always keep those things in check. In a certain regard, blue can also do some relatively unfair things itself. You know, if you were to deem a, a you know, being tapped out and countering a spell for free as something that's unfair, that's certainly really strong. If you deem the idea of playing spells for zero mana 
as really strong. That's certainly something that, that Blue does and something that it does relatively often. The card I'm referring to is Omniscience in the uh, Show and Tell Omniscience deck, uh, a deck that's kind of been in and out of, of favor for a long time. I think the other thing that Blue does really well is that it can always produce a, a board state or a board position that your opponent cannot really attack. They have trouble, you know, getting in and, and being able to play answers to blue. Because blue can always say counterspell. I don't think so. I don't want that. You know, get that out of here. So why do we need to have blue in the game? Blue is by far the most necessary color in magic. It needs to exist because there always needs to be someone to say no. You know, there needs to be somebody that can can put a stop to all of the craziness that goes on. I think that in the current age of magic, blue has really kind of taken a step back. And it's too bad because it's, you know, permission, being able to stop, being able to stop spells, and also being able to select the right spells from your deck to empower you to make the correct decisions. Those are things that are inherent to magic. Whenever I think of like the idea, the embodiment of magic, I always think of like, you know, you're, if you're a wizard and you have a bunch of powerful spells in your deck, blue is kind of just the quintessential color that represents that. Blue is kind of Arthurian, if that's a if that's a, a word that makes sense to people or a word that, that vibes with people, it's this idea of you know being being able to to stop your opponent from from causing ill harm to you, and that's what blue does. That's what blue does. Blue is tricky. Blue is crafty. Blue is 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 interesting and in depth, and it has a lot of, of deep thought. And if if there's if that doesn't exist, if you don't have those those tricks and those traps to play on your opponent, then magic kind of loses, then magic turns into a game that's not magic anymore. Magic really loses out on its sparkle and its pizzazz and its, its sexiness, so to speak. All right, let's talk about some cards. Frank, what are your uh, favorite blue creatures? Uh, true name nemesis, hands down. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, having, having a card that, you know, your opponent can't deal with by most means is, is a, a tough thing. Uh, blue is really weird in terms of the creature base because it's, it's a creature that no matter what you name is always going to make your opponent groan. Uh, Delver of Secrets. Uh, you know, true name nemesis. Uh, Snapcaster Mage. Uh, these are all the hallmarks. Most people will know the blue creatures that define the game. If you want to go back before that, or like even now, like I'm playing the really stupid time stream navigator deck in standard, or it's like, cool, this card gives me infinite turns when played right, but you need the other colors to do it. I just want to throw a shout out for the other colors. And then if you go further back, you have all of the EDH commanders that nobody likes. Uh, <laughs> Vendillion Click. Oh, what's his name? Uh, it's the blue guy from Cold Snap. Uh, Arkham Dagson. Oh, yeah, that guy. Uh, yeah, Arkham Dagson, and then having him in conjunction with other things. You remember uh, you remember Mono Blue Devotion, right? Yes, I do yeah. remember so that. So Master of Waves. Yep. Uh, I guess Night Vale Spectre works, even though that's blue-black. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to go further back, you have like Baron Master Wizard. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. You know, you had a time when the entire format was defined by cards or by blue creatures that had literally every option given to you. And that's Aetherling and that's Morphling. Morphling was one of the most oppressive cards I ever had to play against. I hated playing against that card, but I also knew it was because it was so stupid good. And then when Aetherling came around uh, in Dragon's Maze and it's kind of like, well, who would like, who printed this? This is real. Like this card is stupid. This card is stupid good. Man, every every card in Merfolk. Let's keep going. Like, uh, <laughs> you had Thassa. God, oh, well, she was in Mono. Uh, we talked about Mono to Blue Devotion. Uh, yeah, any Lord of any Atlantis. Yeah, any, <laughs> sure. Um, but nowadays, like, it's funny because Blue is the throwback. You don't have many big creatures. Like, the nearest thing I can think of right now is Torrential Gearhulk. 
it's one of those things where it's just like they don't make them like they used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of these days, like hopefully, you know, something comes back where it's like this, we're back to being insane. It's not going to happen with Blue because uh, part of it, I think, is Watsi learning their lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are some of your favorite Blue creatures? My favorite Blue creatures really focus around spells in the deck. My favorite Blue creatures are... Delver of Secrets, of course, a fantastic creature, a creature that you certainly have to build a deck around. You can't necessarily just throw a Delver into any deck because the Delver needs to be have a, a deck shaped around it. So you have a Delver of Secrets, you need to have a lot of spells that are allowed to activate the Delver or spells that allow you to you know stack your deck so you have a spell on top of your deck. Brainstorm, Ponder, or cards like that. And it allows the creature to be be efficient. It, it attacks really well. It has evasion. It's tricky. It's kind of interesting to play with. But Delver of Secrets is also really interesting because when you play, when you flip Delver of Secrets, it gives your opponent information. And this is kind of when I talk about blue as a tricky color. Blue is a tricky color. And I mean that I mean that in the most sincere way. There are times when you don't flip your Delver. When you look at the top card of your deck and it's a spell pierce or a counter spell or a force of will and you don't flip it and your opponent's on three mana and they go to four and they play Jace the Mind Sculptor and then you play counter spell because you didn't reveal that information to your opponent. And that's just kind of, that's a really small sliver of why blue is great, why Delver is so great. That's kind of the the the, the sexiness of blue. You know, it's, it's, it's a play that you can make on your opponent that they won't see coming. That can be the whole game. That can be the whole game right there. I think that that Delver's Secret certainly adds a lot of levels to the game and is really cool. Uh, Another card is Snapcaster Mage, a fantastic card in its own right. Snapcaster Mage actually is is a difficult card to play simply because... When you're playing it in the era of, of magic, especially in Legacy, sometimes in Modern, where your opponent has graveyard hate or they can, they can attack cards in your graveyard, you need to be able to kind of weave it in the right spot. You need to be able to try to get the most value out of it that you can. On its own, it's a 2-1 creature, which is important if you're playing equipment as well, which a lot of blue decks do. Um, but Snapcaster Mage really amplifies any spell that you've played and allow you to play those again. So that card is certainly great. I think that my favorite blue card, though, my favorite blue creature of all is Vendillion Click. And Vendillion Click is just by far, when I have it in my hand, if I'm just, I'm as safe as can be. And I think that Vendillion Click really represents a really deep realization of what a blue creature should look like. It's a 3-1 flying flash. It's a legendary creature. And it's just, it's so strong in all aspects of the game. And what I mean by that is it's really good when it's in your hand and it's really good when it's on the stack. Those are the times when Vendillion Click is the best. It's great for breaking up your opponent's combos. It's great for attacking your opponent's hand, figuring out what's what's in their hand. It's great for attacking. It has evasion. And the best part about it is you can play it whenever you want. So Vendillion Click is by far, out of, out of those three creatures, out of all the, my favorite creatures in blue, Vendillion Click is way, way up there. Historically, I've played more Vendillion Clicks than anybody. You know, I've played, I've, I've really have. I just love the card. I'm in love with the card. I'll always have them with me. Frank, when we talk about instants and sorceries, that's like the blue. <laughs> that's blue. Yeah, that's blue. I mean, what are your favorite, some of your favorite instants? All right. So let's say uh, at the top of the list, probably at the top of the list of any instance ever printed, you're, you've got Brainstorm. I honestly think that that it's not my favorite card, but I'm probably sure that that will be like the most significant card ever printed. You can make a case for the power nine, but from a matter of accessibility, it's got to be Brainstorm. It's the most skill intensive card I think ever printed. 
like the lines you have to think of when you play a brainstorm when to play it how to play it what cards to put back do i have a fetch land will i get brainstorm locked out of doing this that card demands just so much under that you have everything that just sculpts hands you have ops serum visions ponder preordain sleight of um, hand which is kind of a yeah, sleight of hand impulse supreme will there's just everything that just allows you to dictate your turn i mean which is what i love about blue you know and that that goes that goes into sorceries as well um but then you have the th- you have the cards that the, the interactive cards cuz all of those cards let's be honest are very non-interactive you know it's it's you just kind of playing your own game uh but then you know beyond that you have stuff like vapor snag uh you have unsummon you have boomerang those cards back then used to be insane uh snap it's weird because with blue being the way that it is there's never an amount of like final uh finality you know, Vapor Snake, it's not going to prevent the game or it's not going to uh, get rid of the creature permanently unless it's a token or something like that. But it allows you to prepare for it. It's like having a Vapor Snag and then having the counter ready for it. I feel like counter spells get a little bit of a bad rap because, you know, obviously counter spell, force of will, cryptic command, mana leak, remand. I mean, to a casual player, counter spell basically says you can't play the game. To a competitive player, it means I have to rethink my strategy. That's why they get such a bad rep, because despite the fact that, you know, there is a competitive element to this game and there is a degree of competition, remember that in the end, WotC designs this game for a casual player base, which is why you no longer see a spell like OG Counterspell. You see Cancel or you see Dissolve, and all of those are at the three spot. Or these are the four spot if you're at like summary dismissal yes. or overwhelming <laughs> denial. Right. There's always a matter of like, I, I can't speak for R&D, but I always have this feeling that it's like every time we see a counterspell printed in the format, that is a card that they do have to, like with a new mechanic especially, uh, but that is a card that they have to sit and think about. It's just like, okay, we have to put a new counterspell in this set. How do we want to go about it? Outside of just, well, we could just reprint cancel and then nobody plays it. So. And they do. They've reprinted cancel like 15 times. Yeah. <laughs> There's a card like Admiral's Order, which I think is vastly underplayed, but that's just me. <laughs> what does Admiral's Order uh, it's, do? So it's the, uh, it's the counterspell from Rivals of Ixalan that has raid. Post-combat, if you attack, it's a counterspell that just costs one. It's a hard counter that costs one, but you have to attack. So it's, it's a little bit more, it's probably like, it's a very proactive counterspell, I guess, in that sense, where I know that I want to set this up because I know that they're going to try and pull something. And I think that is a clever design. Other than that, it's just a matter of, you know, here's a three cost counter with strings attached. You can you can do that so many different ways. Dissolve, uh, dissipate, disallow, dis that, dis this. <laughs> Even like Pact of Negation, it's like it's a free counter spell. But guess what? You lose the yeah, game. Yeah, don't play and pay a million I'm, mana I'm, I'm air turn. quoting really hard here as to how free it is. Lose the game or pay like nine mana. <laughs> uh, it's funny because Pact of Negation is probably the counter spell that I've played the most next to Force of Will. Interesting. Well, because in, in modern, my go-to deck is Ad Nauseum where you jam four and it's just like, cool, well, I'm going to pack the negation. I'm also not going to lose because I'm not going to pay the cost because here's an angel's grace. There's, there's always strings attached outside of just two blue counter target spell. And I think that's just a testament to how powerful and defining that kind of card is. Okay, so we know that blue is really the color of casting instant spells, quick spells, card drawing spells, and counter spells. And so we know that it you know, people don't really like a blue sorcery, but of the blue instants and sorceries, which of those spells are your favorite? The blue instants and sorceries, wow, there's a lot of really good ones. You know, it's it's hard to ignore cards like Force of Will and Brainstorm. It's really hard to ignore those cards because those are kind of the cards that pin, that make a blue deck a blue deck, 
right? Counterspell days, stuff like that. I really have to give a shout out to the, the Blue Instant Stifle. I think Stifle is sort of like, Stifle is like when you're playing Magic and you have, and everyone's casting these super powerful spells and you've got a scalpel. You've got a really small tool that has to influence and impact the game when people are playing really powerful spells. Being able to use Stifle in the correct sense, in the correct spot, is really like, it really takes the right precision. And there are certain times when your opponent is always going to view and understand that you have access to Stifle, they're going to play around it. Understanding when to deploy Stifle, when to keep Stifle, when to shuffle it away is really an important part of understanding how to use that card. The other card that I really like in blue, the other instant or sorcery, is Intuition. Intuition is a fantastic card. It's one blue two. It allows you to look through your library for three different cards or three cards, three any of three cards, and your opponent chooses one and you get it and the other two go to your graveyard. And Intuition is a really, is a really interesting card because it allows you to build a deck that kind of is focused around Intuition. Intuition can be used to find toolboxes or 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 all of one spell as well. It's it's a it's a fantastic card that gives you options, that gives you the ability to find what you need or potentially break your opponent. The other instant spell that I really that I really like to play is Factor Fiction. Factor Fiction. It's it's kind of a, an old school card that was really recently brought to the forefront of my current era playing. And I'm by current era I mean like maybe in the last three months. Factor Fiction is just a great card because it offers a mountain of card advantage. It also allows you to, if there's a specific card that you want to get, you can certainly access that card. Factor Fiction is both skill testing for you to play and for your opponent to play against as well. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, Factor Fiction is one blue, three colorless for an instant spell. And it says, reveal the top five cards of your deck and your opponent makes two piles. Between those two piles that your opponent makes, you get to choose one of those piles, you put those cards into your hand, and the other cards that you don't choose go to your graveyard. So Factor Fiction is actually fantastic because sometimes if there's this one specific card that you want that is game-breaking, you can though it'll be a four versus one pile. You can take the one card that you really need that's really important. So you can actually use Factor Fiction as card advantage or to find a specific card. And on top of that, you can also use Factor Fiction to trick your opponent again. So a good example is, let's say I play Factor Fiction on my main phase on turn four, which happens sometimes and is a little strange, but a lot of times, or, or sorry, on the main phase on turn five, let us let me go ahead and, and really preface this so you guys can understand this. Um, when I play Factor Fiction on my main phase on turn five, if I haven't played a land yet, it looks like I'm stuck on lands. You know, it really does. And so there are times when I will play Factor Fiction and my opponent will look at what the amount of information that I'm offering them and they'll say, this guy needs a land. I'm going to make spells versus lands, right? And that way I, he, he sort of forces me into taking one, one resource or the other. And when he makes those two piles of spells versus lands and I take the spells, then he knows, he's, he knows I just tricked him, right? And that's kind of where, where, where Blue is so great and Factor Fiction is the awesome card. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. In the last three seasons, the show has been downloaded over 100,000 times and has reached the far corners of the world. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As you know, I give out gifts, little mementos from my interviews to my Patreon supporters. If you'd like to receive signed cards and other cool things, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you so much. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. 
Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local Magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash Paragon City Games. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. What about some blue planeswalkers? Well, that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of any good blue planeswalkers. God, none none that um, start with Jace and rhymes with Ace. Uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, the greatest printed planeswalker in the history of the game. Let's, I mean, that's just the way to put it. Like, if you want to talk about blue and you want to talk about planeswalkers, you talk about Jitmus. He's about to run rampant. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm excited because I would like to see a legitimate control build in the format that actually has a chance to compete. You're talking about like mono blue modern. No, well, I mean, like right now, everybody has the blue white control shell. Mm -hmm. But like I have seldom seen a match with blue white control that didn't go to time or just like outright won the game. There were so many times when it's just like they play Gideon of the Trials, just prevent your biggest dude from attacking and then eventually just being like, okay, well, I can control your board. I can kill everything you got, keep what you have in check. So I'm just going to say I can't lose the game. Mm. And then it gets to a point where it's just like, I have no cards in my library. I can't draw cards. I have all these celestial colonnades, but I can't actually kill you. So <laughs> like blue white's win condition so many times is just wait for my opponent to finally concede. So I think like Jace brings closure to that. You know, modern definitely needed a change. And I think unbanning him was great. I'm also on the back burner, just kind of believing that it's going to be one of those situations like with Golgari Grave Troll, where they unbanned him like, oh, this is awesome. And then realizing just like, oh, we screwed up. So uh, back to the ba back to the ban prison. So we'll see what happens. That's uh, funny. We haven't even started yet. So I'm, I'm just shouting out some assumptions. Now, Blue is also known for having possibly the best planeswalker, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Yes. Now, what really about Blue and planeswalkers makes it all jive so well? Blue planeswalkers are just, they're, they're so immensely powerful. And the reason why they're so good is because they, act, they operate on an axis that is hard for other colors to deal with. 
Blue is able to both play its planeswalkers and protect them very well. And a lot of the best planeswalkers or the, the planeswalkers that are identified as very powerful can also protect themselves as well. Most blue planeswalkers will always have an ability that will give them that will give the the the, the owner card advantage or the ability to draw into more cards. And the thing about a Planeswalker is that card advantage is always compounded when you're able to activate that ability. So being able to find more cards or being able to answer your opponent's current threats with Jace Bounce or Brainstorm and cards like that. I think the other great thing about Planeswalkers is it gives the blue player a way to win the game. And traditionally, blue decks have always struggled a little bit with that aspect. They'll have one or two win conditions uh, there's a card historically called Exalted Angel or uh, Eternal Dragon. These were kind of these these creatures that were supposed to have, be really resilient and offer a blue player the ability to win the game way late into the game. But what's great about Planeswalkers, especially blue Planeswalkers in the current era, is that they offer immense card advantage and card selection, but they also are able to attack your opponent in a way that's positive. So blue Planeswalkers do solve a lot of the weaknesses that blue decks traditionally suffered from. And it's probably what makes them so powerful right now. But to, to kind of go back on 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 the focus of Jace the Mind Sculptor and to really understand that card, I think that card was actually a mistake that was printed by Watsi. They were it was kind of early in the days when they were just printing planeswalkers. They didn't really have a good understanding of what was strong and what wasn't. And so they wanted to kind of push planeswalkers and say, we released our first five, you know, let's go ahead and, and, and try another one. Let's see what another another good four mana planeswalker was. They printed Gurik Relent or uh, Gurik Wildspeaker, which at the time was considered to be the best planeswalker out there. It was really powerful. All the abilities were great. And they wanted to make the blue planeswalker uh, strong, desirable. Really tried to reach and touch the the blue players in in everyone's hearts, and and what they ended up printing was just an absolute monstrosity. I, I must say that it, the card is very good, and and quite powerful. Whenever you have a planeswalker in a color, it's always kind of foreshadowed by. It's like, can you play other planeswalkers? It's hard to talk about the other ones, you know. Jace Burns Prodigy is a really interesting individual card, both as a card and as a planeswalker itself. To fully understand that card, you have to play with it a lot. And, and I have played with it a fair bit. I, I certainly understand and know the tricks you can do and how powerful that card can be. What I will say is that Jace, Vrin's Prodigy, is a, it's a cheap creature to play uh, and a very effective creature to play. As a 0-2, it allows you to filter your hand and find cards that you want to find. But when it flips over, it also allows... I mean, the, the big issue with Jace for his prodigies, when it flips over, it's five loyalty, I think? It's really hard to attack down. I believe it's plus is to give minus two minus O until your next turn, which is fantastic because it can pseudo-protect itself from, from getting attacked. And it's minus three is the ability to flash back a spell. The I mean, it, it does kind of limit when you can cast it. You can't use it to support another spell. Like if you were to give flashback to a counter magic spell, you couldn't do that and play another spell and then flashback later. But it is like, it is a very powerful card in that regard. It offers you a lot of spell selection from your graveyard, sort of as like a pseudo snapcaster mage. And then like its ultimate is very interesting because it, for a blue player that plays a lot of spells, which most every, almost every blue deck does, it's able to like incrementally loot your or mill your opponent out. So it's, it's a, 
It's an ultimate that's not extraordinarily powerful, but it is. It, it will eventually win the game if you can stabilize and you can protect yourself well. So Jace Fern's Prodigy, I've, I've seen it being played. I've played it personally in lots of modern events, modern decks. I think I played it somewhat in standard as well. There was like, a, I think there was like a, a combo deck, Rally the, Ans- Rally the Ancestors. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. That was a deck that played Jace Fern's Prodigy. And also in Legacy, it's actually seen in, in sideboard decks from the uh, the blue-black reanimator deck. It will actually come out of the sideboard because a lot of times when you're playing against that deck, you board out your spot removal, you're going to board out Lightning Bolt. And when Jace hits the battlefield, it both activates and, and helps you further your, your idea of getting your creatures in the right zones, putting, putting your big creatures into your graveyard. You can put that card in your graveyard and reanimate it or animate dead. And when you, when you tick up Jace, now you have another win condition that your opponent has to deal with that is not necessarily your mainline strategy of, of reanimating Iona and Gristlebrand and cards out of your graveyard. So really, Jace Burns Prodigy in that regard, it both furthers your original deck concept, your deck idea, but it also attacks your opponent in ways that are really kind of foreign and strange, you know, ways that people aren't really used to dealing with out of a combo deck. Yeah, it is very funny because in um, Modern, when Lantern Control was running around, I was playing Grixis Control, and mm-hmm. this was not the Death Shadow version. This had, like, Jace Vern's Prodigy. And somehow, my opponent had carelessly let me stick a Jace, and I flipped it. So I was like... Oh, you're playing Lantern Control. You're milling me? I'll mill you. Yeah. And we were in a mill race, and I almost won that mill race. <laughs> and it was insane because yeah. I ultimated Jace. Yeah, yeah. Jace is ultimate, very powerful, uh, very and, and just very good at your opponent has to answer it. You know, and that's one of the things about Planeswalkers, and that's the reason why blue Planeswalkers specifically are so powerful, is it gives you a way to attack your opponent, and if you're a blue player, you're just sitting there protecting your Planeswalker. You're protecting your win condition. Okay, so we know blue's arsenal of creatures, spells, and Planeswalkers. Some yep. of them OP, some of them a dirtle fest. Yep. What are some of your favorite plays from blue? Playing Force of Will. Playing Days. <laughs> playing Stifle. <laughs> now, you have to think about, like, with Blue, nothing is particularly, like, crazy flashy without building, like, a Rube Goldberg machine. And almost all of those Rube Goldberg machines end up being some kind of stack player counter war. It's setting somebody up for a position where it's like, you know, where you know you're going to lose this counter fight. And more often than not, like, you can go with the very simple things, like Sensei's Divining Top plus Counterbalance. Uh, it's not a flashy play, but man, is it a good one. There's been times where it's just like, I'm going to go back to one of my favorite, pl- one of the favorite plays that I've ever seen. Uh, and that was with Tom Lynch. He was up against elves and he was on, he, he so he was on sneak and show uh, and he was up against elves. And what happened was his opponent goes for the natural order. So he's going for the kill. So Tom decides to build up, build up storm count for Flusterstorm. Uh, so he brainstorms, he brainstorms again, he goes for the Flusterstorm, uh, so he's got several copies of, of Flusterstorm on the stack, uh, with the one that eventually counters Natural Order, uh, because he can generate a ton of mana, so, or because his opponent, Randy Yao, uh, could generate a ton of mana, uh, he let the Flusterstorm resolve to counter Natural Order, uh, I think he did it with, like, the second copy, so there were still two more on the stack, but Randy has another Natural Order in hand, 
It's just a matter of, okay, well, this one's going to, I mean, this one's going to get countered. I'm just going to cast the other one and he doesn't have a counter backup. He resolves the Flusterstorm, countering natural order. And at that point, a lot of people would normally just be like, okay, let's move on. So that's where Randy would smash uh, the second natural order. But instead, because there's still two copies of Flusterstorm on the stack, Tom immediately stops the play and just like with those other two on the, uh, on the stack before it resolves, I'm going to surgical the one in your, the natural order in your graveyard which is one of the most heads up plays I've ever seen because you know, it's knowing that he could have another one in hand. He still has the mana to cast all the other ones. And this is the opportunity. If I let him cast this now, I lose. So he's immediately just like with those ones on, I'm going to get rid of everything. You know, as a judge, it's my responsibility to just be like, remain impartial and not like react. But like when I saw him do that, it's one of those things where like I'm sitting watching the finals. I had to get up and I had to turn around and it's just like, Oh man, like that was like one of the dirtiest plays I've ever seen. And it was so impressive and it was so heads up. I just look at both of them and I'm like, damn, even Randy had the same reaction where you're just like, holy crap. Like I, I can't think of another time where that would happen. What are some of your favorite plays with blue? Blue has a lot of really, really great and tricky things you can do to attack your opponent or to feign weakness out of your opponent. You can do a lot of things. I think maybe the, uh, I guess the, the, the first one that I wanted to talk about was the play where you have a Delver of Secrets in play and you don't necessarily reveal if, if you have a, a, a high value card or a card that, you know, can counter like a counter spell that reveals off of Delver Secrets. You don't necessarily have to reveal that to your opponent. That can be hidden information. And a lot of times a player will be like, well, why wouldn't you just flip your Delver there? And the reason why you don't flip your Delver there is because you're more worried about the spell that your opponent's going to play, right? So that's kind of a, a high, uh, maybe like a, a very niche play that you can run sometimes on your opponent. The other play that you can do, you can do a lot of really interesting things with Snapcaster Mage. Uh, I think a lot of times, especially in Legacy, you'll see Snapcaster Mage run alongside Liliana the Veil. And what, what sucks sometimes is when you draw these high value cards from your deck, when you're playing Liliana, you want to be able to both tick up Liliana, but get the most out of your Snapcaster Mage. So what a lot of players will do is they'll actually play their Snapcaster Mage to give a spell flashback in their graveyard. They'll then tick up Liliana when they don't have any cards in their hand, and then they'll flash back their Serum Visions. So they can actually use Snapcaster Mage to dodge hand destruction or hand disruption. A lot of times people will do this when uh, they have a Snapcaster Mage and they're facing down a Cabal Therapy or something like that. They'll go ahead and play Snapcaster Mage, they'll get hit with Cabal Therapy, and then after that they'll flash back Brainstorm or Ponder or something like that. So they can use kind of Snapcaster Mage's timing windows, you know, between playing it and flashing a card back to really get that that optimal advantage of when cards need to be played. So Snapcaster Mage is really powerful in that regard. Some of the other great plays that you can do with blue, and blue is so tricky. You have so many options. You have There's so many things you can do to really get your opponent. Your opponent thinks they're safe and they're not. Uh, I love I love the card Vendillion Click specifically. A lot of times people will try to play Vendillion Click uh, on your opponent's draw step. And that's actually the wrong, in my opinion, that's the wrong time to play it. Vanillion Click has Flash, and that you should really be trying to utilize the, that idea to the maximum effect. If you want to play Vanillion Click during your opponent's draw step, right, you're specifically trying to use it proactively to strip your opponent's hand. But a lot of times when you play Vanillion Click, it's much better to use it to break up another play that your opponent's trying to make. So a good example is if your opponent plays a card called Show and Tell, one blue, two, both players put a spell into, or put a, a creature or land or enchantment spell from their hand into play. Right. It's good at cheating in cards like Emrakul and Gristlebrand, but if you play Vendillion Click in response to Show and Tell, you can actually take their big time target that they're using to put into play. But what's great about Vendillion Click is because you get so much information off of playing Vendillion Click 
assuming it resolves. If you play it and your opponent has two Gristle Brands and an Emrakul or something crazy like that, um, you can actually play Vendillion Click and say, my opponent also has counter magic. So if I use Vendillion Click to strip his counter spell, and then I play my Force of Will on his Show and Tell, the Show and Tell doesn't resolve. So you're really using Vendillion Click for a lot of different reasons, other than just trying to play it post draw step. So Vendillion Click has just, it's such a surgical card and you can really use it if you maximize how you're playing that card, you can get so much better more advantage than just draw step Vendillion Click. It's a card that I've had so much practice with playing. And, and it's one of those things where I, people don't really share that sentiment with me. Mm. So when I, when I, when they see my deck with all these Vendillion, you know, I play three of them and it's a legendary creature. And it's so crazy. But I just, I just, I always feel comfortable when I have it, when I can cast it. I always feel like I'm invincible. Ben, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the color blue for our Wooberg series. I'm going to just quickly talk about colors in general. I, I think one thing that magic does really well is it allows you to actually have your personality expressed in cardboard. And I think that's a very, very strange thing to think about. Think about a game where, let's say it's a board game, like Monopoly. The the strategy for every play is the same. <laughs> yeah, right? it is. You're just trying to acquire <laughs> like as many properties as possible and then get as much money. So there, there's no differentiation for like how the game strategy really kind of unfolds. And and for many, many games, that's true. You're actually like playing the same game, just in a, in a different body. What magic allows for and what the color wheel does for and what colors do for magic is they allow you to say, okay, what is the, my personality in the game? Am I aggressive? Am I intellectual? Am I disruptive? Am I, you know, just put everything on the table? And each of these colors embodies a different strategy and a different approach to, to magic and the world. And I would say that for a lot of players, they choose the, the cards and the decks they play based on how it manifests their personality. I mean, obviously tournament players, they, they approach it. What's the best deck? What's the, what's the right, right cards in the metagame? That's, that's, that's for sure. Like one way to look about it. Look at about it. Think about there are players like, like Craig Wisco, who plays a lot of white is like Brian Kibler who plays a lot of green, like Patrick Sullivan who plays a lot of red. They play these colors, not just because they're strong, but they actually represent them. And so what blue in particular represents is a couple things. One is a, a cerebral aspect of, of magic. The counterspell is the easiest way to, uh, to, to, to embody this. Counterspell allows you to control what gets played in the game. And you get every time a spell gets played, there's a decision point. Do I counter it or do I let it go? And so one of the wonderful things about how, how uh, magic is, is that there can be decks that have a lot of decisions and decks that, that have not so many decisions. And blue, like card draw and counter magic and, and some other things, really emphasizes a lot of decision making. And it's why a lot of, let's say, good players or people who think they're smart basically are drawn towards this color. And because it allows them to feel in control, it allows them to uh, feel that they're using their, their brains, they're deciding, they're solving the puzzle. And it's that sense of power and control and like intellectualism. Funnily enough, like a lot of the cards, they're named for being smart, like brainstorm. You're thinking about something and you're trying to come up with some new strategy or new tactic. And that's exactly what it does. It lets you draw two cards. You have to put some of them back. You have to kind of like make all these decisions. And that's what blue is about. Blue is about making decisions and feeling that you're in control. Ben, why do you feel like we need to have this color within the role of the game? I mean, yeah, sure, decisions, but like all things in a game, there has to be decisions. But why blue for that? 
Richard Garfield basically decided to put a lot of attitudes in each of the colors. Like, like red is very, very kind of quick to anger. Blue is very slow and contemplative. Black is very kind of greedy and manipulative. And white is very like friendship. And it's about uh, group dynamics. And green is very primal. I think having the personalities is why magic is as diverse as it is. Blue is a very calming, thoughtful color, and that's probably why blue was associated with these mechanics. I think magic is a way of manifesting your own personal preference and how, how you would like to have influence and power, and, and, and blue is the influence of, of decisions and uh, cerebralness. Frank, what do you think is the trend of blue in the future of magic? Uh, that's a really hard question. You can definitely say that blue will never come go back to its former glory when it becomes a matter of like being such a spell forward format and having all of this utility. You probably can't say anything about that anymore, which means blue will never be entirely like the dominating color of magic. You see a lot less that blue is probably no longer about like playing reactive counter-based magic and a lot more of just like having all of these drawing cantrips. Stuff like chart of course, glimmer of genius, uh, opt strategic planning. That's kind of the direction that blue is going toward now. It wouldn't surprise me that depending on what happens with Dominaria, somewhere down the road, maybe like two or three sets from now, blue turns out to be like a super powerful color in limited play, but a very strong support color uh, in constructed formats. Watsy knows that that's not something that they intend to have happen with blue. Uh, eventually, you know, it'll have to be the centerpiece of an archetype again. And they will be playing a lot more of it. But right now, I think blue does a lot better making the other colors better. That's how it's had to be through modern up until now with Jace. That's how it's had to be post mono blue devotion. You don't really get that blue single handedly taking over the game. What do you see as the trend of blue in the future of magic? The trend of blue or the current role that blue plays is a little strange. And it's been kind of, I think Wizard of the Coast is trying to figure out where they need to position blue so that a new player can, can feel comfortable with playing the game. And that's, I think that's, that's fine. It's for, for a new player to kind of get in and, and look at blue and understand blue. It's got a lot of deep thought into it. And it's something that maybe people aren't necessarily ready to make the leap for. Uh, casting Brainstorm is very scary. And, and especially in, in a world of, of Magic the Gathering, they want to be right. You know, they want to feel like they made the right play, that they did it, they, they did a good job. You know, they played to the best of their ability. And, and traditionally, blue has kind of really punished players in that regard. It's really, it's really been hard on players to make the correct decisions all the time. They're under so much pressure. They're in a FNM or they're in an RPTQ or they're in a PTQ. And it's tough, you know. But I think that blue in the current age, Watsi is trying, really trying to keep alive the trickery and the majesty. You know, the, the, the magical side of blue, the sexy side, the sparkling side. And I, I really, I certainly salute that. But I think that blue, the, the power of blue, like the deep, they're trying to remove a lot of the deep power, the, the things that made blue so desirable to play, the card quality advantage, and then just the raw card advantage is kind of being stripped away from that. And that's okay. You know, that, that's, that's okay. But it's also one of those things where inversely what they're doing is with the other colors is they're tuning up what the other colors are good at. So I think, you know, like a lot of green creatures are just so powerful these days. Um, and a lot of black hand destruction spells, um, they, they've printed ones recently, Thoughtseize, Inquisition of Kosalek. They're just becoming more and more, a lot better at attacking your opponent. 
they're trying to figure out where blue fits in. And I, I know that, that for a lot of modern players, there's been a lot of cries out to try to figure out if blue can kind of get back on the map as a, as a predominant color. And I think Watsi's worry of that. They're, they're worried of, of when, when Jace, when Jace takes his first, first steps out onto the battlefield in a modern deck, that, uh, that will be a very interesting day. You know, that will be a, that will be a day where a lot of, I think a lot of legacy players will come in. A lot of, a lot of old school players will be interested in playing the modern format. And I think that it's, it's difficult for, it's, it's fine if standard players move to modern, but when legacy players move to modern, it's troublesome sometimes. It's difficult because now you, you end up with, with people with advanced knowledge of how the game works. You know, they're, 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 they're veteran players and they've seen a, a complex stack before. You know, they've seen a really in-depth stack, whereas somebody who's coming from the standard side might not necessarily have that perspective. So they really love to, to kind of have this progression of play, you know, standard to modern and then modern to not necessarily legacy, but modern to more depth, more in-depth modern. And to have that, that backflow to occur is they want, they just kind of want a legacy player to stay in legacy. And then maybe once in a while, they'll try a modern deck and then they'll be like, why did I leave my brainstorms at home? <laughs> Get off my lawn, <laughs> you know? And in that design space, Ben, you talked about how magic has evolved throughout its entire 25 year history. What do you feel like is a future trend for the color blue in Magic the Gathering? The power of the game mechanics were naturally in blue. Like card draw is one of the most, if not the most powerful general game mechanic. Early on, they knew that card drawing was very good, Ancestral Recall's rare, and Dark Ritual, Light and Bolt, and Healing Self, and Giant Growth are all common. So, so obviously they realized that that was true. But the problem is, I think that blue's part of the color pie, card drawing, counter, counter magic, bounce, stealing stuff, is all just too powerful. And so, so what they need to do is think of a less influential area of the game to give to blue such that it's not intrinsically just more powerful. I mean, there was a whole, like, probably more than a decade, 12, 15 years, um, where blue was the best color. I mean, people still think blue is the best color. Funnily enough, blue right now is pared down quite a lot from what it used to be. But I really think in the future, they're going to have to find some things that blue can do they aren't as raw powerful as card drawing or counter magic. They're, they're going to have to think of things like scrying is card draw light. It's one direction where they've tried to power that down. And, and now they make counter magic more expensive and things like that. So I think we might need to see blue spread its wings, so to speak, and have more powered down like mechanics just because intrinsically they were a little bit uh, unbalanced. Yeah, I think countering things while it being fun for a blue mage is not really fun for anyone else, especially not fun for a novice player who's trying to learn how to play magic. I think card draw is quite powerful. And so if you have too much card draw, then every other color wants to pair up with blue and make these basically invincible decks. And so you're right, like Scry has been card draw light. And you know what? They've tested Scry for a really long time. And Scry is very good. I mean, Scry, like ever since Scry was released in Theros, it's good. It's a good enough mechanic that I like scrying. Personally, especially as magic is becoming more combat-based and, you know, people like creatures, they want creatures to do things, I think Blue's creatures just suck. I mean, apart from, like, Delver and True Name Nemesis and, like, Snapcaster Mage and Vendillion Click, it's just like, 
we need better creatures. Like, sure, they can fly. <laughs> Maybe people don't like unblockable creatures. And like, but you can't just be getting like dumb little pirates that loot or little merfolk and then like your occasional storm tide leviathan. Like, there has to be a little bit more something in the middle. Yeah, things like air elemental, obviously a classic that space. I think the, the mid range of blue cards are either card advantage cards like Snapcaster Mage or something like that, or big flyers. And I do think that there needs to be something that's not quite as powerful on one end or as uninteractive like always flying or something like that. So I do think that blue's creatures need, need a little bit of an overhaul. Anything else? Anything else we want to record about blue or anything? Blue gets a bad rap. I think it does. It definitely does. Like, it's... One of those things, again, where if you want to introduce somebody to magic, I think blue is the last color you show them. (laughs) You have to let them know that it exists. You have to let them know that it's like, if they're getting into casual magic, sure, show them whatever you want. But if they're like, I want to practice my way to eventually get on the pro tour. And, you know, it's like if you're if you're eight years old and brand new, wet behind the ears to magic, it could go either way. It's like you let them know that it's just like you're about to enter a very, a very cruel world uh, by knowing the color color blue or it's just a matter of i'm gonna let you have your fun and then we're gonna take the training wheels off and i'm gonna show you blue you know that's always gonna be the stigma associated with it but you know at the same time i always encourage players to know that it's just like hey blue is definitely gonna be the color that makes you a better magic player jordan you've spoken a lot about blue today could you just give a quick 10 second comprehensive history of blue as a color identity to someone who may not know very much about magic. The history of blue is one of great power and prowess. If you look at blue in the, in the first 10 years of magic, the most powerful cards out there. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was, already was that already 10 <laughs> seconds? Oh my God. So hard. <laughs> oh, we, oh, so, <laughs> we could try again. Sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm no, so that's sorry. okay. No, that's what's funny about this. Is it's we hard. Can put this it's in difficult. Blue yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> the history of blue. Well, okay. we don't need to talk about the history of blue. What okay. was blue and what is it now? Let's go. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. All and right. you're even wearing a blue shirt today. I, that's part of the thing. Oh, perfect. That's part of the thing. Okay, we'll lead back in that whenever you're ready. Okay, sure. Blue was power. And now yeah. <laughs> blue was power. And now it's not. And you just love like that a four second pause. Yeah, and now it's not. <laughs> like, what do I, that's what I would say. That's what it is. Blue was power. Now it's not. <laughs> that's too funny. Blue blue <laughs> Blue was what was blue? Blue's blue's great and now it sucks. That's all. I, that's what I want to say, you know. <laughs> Blue's power. Now it's not. I mean, that, that sounds so lame, though. You know, when I think about it in my mind, I'm just like, there's so much because, like, I want to talk about all these sick cards that you could play, and now you can't play them. Now they don't make them like that anymore. You know, like, you know, and I, I feel bad for saying that because I feel like that's the sentiment of a lot of like a lot of eternal players will be like, oh yeah, they don't make them like they used to. Blah blah blah, stuff like that. Okay. Can I just say, blue is power, but now it's not. A big thank you to my guests, Jordan Isaka, Frank Stanley, and Ben Sek for leveling up our knowledge about blue. Ben Sek is on Twitter at TBS Dash. Frank is on Twitter at It's That Frank Guy. Jordan streams on twitch.tv slash IsakaMTG. I'll have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Remember, this is part two of a five-part series on Wooburg, so be sure to listen to the next episode on the color black. 
I'll also have my full interview with Ben Sek out next week. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters: Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan, the Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Garight, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Prescovi, Carl, and Logan F. Listeners, if you'd like to support the show, just head on over to Patreon.com/slash/KitchenTableMagic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and helps keep it running by paying for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, CardKingdom.com/KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your generous support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic: The Gathering community with the world. I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced new YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, MTG community news, and more. Just go to YouTube.com/c/playMTG. You'll find links to the PlayMTG YouTube channel on Facebook.com/playMTG, and be sure to follow the show on Twitter at play_mtg. I'm looking forward to creating new video content, and I've got some cool collaborations in the works. Please be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts. And if you love the show, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Kitchen Table Magic is also on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGCast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast, where you'll find me tweet memes. Yeah, mostly memes. The show is also on Facebook.com/slash/KitchenTableMagicPodcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. Remember to listen to past episodes and be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic, you don't need to be an avatar of woe to love terror. To you, the cabal therapy and surgical extraction are all splendid agony. You can talk ad nauseum about a tragic slip or a fatal push, because to you, it's all just a dark ritual. No stabbing pain, no festering wound, no cry of contrition can make you sick and tired of the damnation. The painful truth is that you are, without a shadow of a doubt, a black mage. In part three of our five-part series on Wooburg, we're diving into the color black. So grab your bitter blossoms and snuggle up in your favorite oubliette. We're headed to the tomb of Yogmoth. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.